So this morning I'd like to start off with a story. It happened in 1996. It was the summer of 1996. I was 17 years old. I had just graduated high school. And I was the newly appointed youth advisory delegate, a YAD, to the General Assembly for the Presbytery of Santa Fe. I was so excited to represent my presbytery at GA, which was in Albuquerque, my own backyard practically, which meant I got to be the local kid. I got to be the local representative, which felt like a pretty big deal at the time. I, thinking back, it probably was still a big deal. I was, I was, I was thrilled. I was excited. Oh, I guess I was a church nerd from the womb, I suppose. I mean, I still geek out when General, General Assembly comes around. Next summer, 2016, summer of 2016, you can be sure that while GA is going on, I'm going to have one computer screen on my work here at the church and one computer screen live streaming General Assembly plenary sessions. I just, I love it. I love that sort of stuff. And it's really no wonder that I, that I really love this great meeting of our denomination because that week-long experience for me was so formative for me in a number of different ways. It was the first time that I got to act in a truly grown-up role in and for my church. It was the first time that I got to be a part of the decision-making process in my denomination where I felt like I was truly making a difference in the church and in the world. It was the first time I spoke in front of a crowd larger than my home church, which was terrifying and exhilarating all at the same time. And it was also the first time that I had to truly take a hard look at my words. And it was the first time that I had to recognize that I had prejudices and I had stereotypes that were impacting my thoughts my words, and my actions. You see, I, I have shared with you all that I grew up in a very diverse community with many different cultures and races all around me and woven into my everyday life, but the reality is, and this is, this is a statement of fact, I had little to no experience of or with black people in my life. In fact, I can't say that I had ever really had a conversation face-to-face -face with a black person before General Assembly in the summer of 1996 when I sat next to another Yad at dinner. And he turns to me and says, you're from around here, right? And I said, yes, I am. And he says, you know, are there any good radio stations in town? And I turned to him without missing a beat, and I looked him right in the face, and I said, well, I don't know if there are any stations that play rap. There was a brief pause, and he said to me, why do you assume that I listen to rap? And in that moment, I was mortified, because I knew right away what I had done. I knew right away what I had said. I knew right away what I had assumed about this young man was based simply off the color of his skin and nothing else. Now, you may be thinking to yourself that this was a minor thing, a minor assumption that I had made. And while it is true, it was fairly minor, it, and it wasn't necessarily a negative assumption, sisters and brothers, the hard truth for me to face back then and for me to face even now is that it was a racist statement for me to make. Because it took a prejudice and a stereotype 
that was in my mind and gave it action. I didn't know what to say to him. I didn't know how to respond, and if I were face to face with him even today, I don't know if I could tell him why. I assumed what I assumed. Because the fact of the matter is that I had no idea why I assumed what I had assumed, and I had no idea why, what I, why I had said what I had said. It just seemed like a statement of fact in my head, but I had no idea why. Keep in mind that I had never so much as really met a black person before that summer, so the assumption that I had made about the music that this young man listened to had to come from somewhere. It wasn't my home or my upbringing. My, my parents grew, raised me in a household where I was taught that all of God's children are equal and deserving of dignity and respect. My parents exampled that for me on a daily basis. Every day when I was growing up, they taught me respect for other cultures, even when I didn't understand or when aspects of those other cultures didn't make sense to me or mesh with my own. They taught me to listen first to people, to deeply listen to what people had to say about who they were and what was important to them. And these were the lessons of my home growing up. So it wasn't personal experience and it wasn't my home upbringing that caused me to say what I said that day, but it had to come from somewhere. The truth is that it was a statement that was birthed out of a whole pool of stereotypes that we, as people in the United States today, swim in every day. The truth is, sisters and brothers, that we swim in a pool of racism every day without even noticing that it's surrounding us. And we can't step out of it without those stereotypes, those attitudes, and those assumptions clinging to us. It's reflected in the stories that get told through television and through movies. The caricature that is copied and repeated, creating one stock character that embodies the stereotypes and fulfills the roles that our cultures assigns to black people and other people of culture, color in our communities today. It's reflected in how stories get shared on the evening news. When I lived in Chicago, I came to understand that the city of Chicago is extremely segregated. The north side was predominantly white, and then the south side was predominantly black. When a crime occurred somewhere on the north side, the news would detail what neighborhood, sometimes even the cross streets where the, the crime had occurred, in order to relieve any worries about safety that people might have going into various neighborhoods on the north side. But when a crime happened on the south side, all the news would simply say was, on the south side tonight, there was a shooting, creating a whole culture of fear about an entire section of the city anywhere south of downtown. And it clings to us. Sisters and brothers, it clings to us in ways that we at times, in ways that most of the time we cannot see because it is a pool that we swim in. It is the air that we breathe. We are surrounded, sisters and brothers, by everyday racism. And we don't even notice it. We unknowingly breathe it in, and we unknowingly exhale it out with our words and our actions. They may seem minor, inconsequential even, but they aren't because they add up. 
and they stack up and they create a whole reality for the everyday life of an entire group of people. It is based off of assumptions and stereotypes, the ones that we breathe in and breathe out and live into being each and every day. And it gets reflected in the everyday experience of our sisters and brothers around the country today. It gets reflected in the jobs that are suddenly filled when someone of color comes to interview for them. It, it gets reflected in the apartments that are suddenly no longer for rent. It gets reflected in the loans that are not given or given with unreasonably high interest rates. And it is reflected in the fact that when I greeted a man at a gas station in our neighborhood just a couple of weeks ago, while I was pumping gas and he was getting out of his own vehicle to pump gas, and I greeted him and I said, how are you doing tonight with a smile? And he says, that's awfully kind of you to say. And when I looked at him a little funny, like, why is it kind to be saying, how are you doing tonight? He says, it's certainly better than a snide look and a quick glance away, which is what he as a black man had come to expect from strange white women. Friends, the stereotypes and assumptions that we breathe in and breathe out create a reality that grows and grows until racism is a giant in our lives, in our communities, and in our world. And it is a matter of fact. It is a giant that we as a society refuse to recognize, acknowledge, or see until it slaps us in the face. It is a giant that looms over us and whose shadow creeps in and over us all until no place, not even a church basement Bible study on a Wednesday evening is safe from the cold that it casts. It is a giant that looms over our lives and our world. And we have to recognize it we have to acknowledge it. We have to see that it's there. Friends, I am thankful that 19 years ago someone opened my eyes to the air that I breathe and the effects that it had on me and my words and my actions and therefore on others. I am grateful that I have friends to this day who continue to open my eyes, who refuse to allow me to ignore the giant that looms over us all in our communities even today. But this, and this is where my own guilt still lies, because sisters and brothers, I am guilty as anyone else. Simply being aware is not enough. This last week has taught us that. While it is important and right and good for us to acknowledge and be aware of the giant of racism that is in our world and the effect that it has on and in all of us, because we are all connected to one another, awareness is not enough. Because the sad, sad truth is that when we ignore or even just acknowledge it, recognize it, and then continue our own our way and not do anything about it, it continues to grow and grow and grow, and it is passed down to our children and our grandchildren. Even if we do our best to teach them a home about dignity and respect for others, for all people, they are still swimming in the pool and breathing in the air each and every day despite our own best efforts, and it infects our hearts and our lives to the point of tragedy. It destroys lives. It destroys communities, 
And it destroys each and every one of us. And it, this is not how God has intended the world to be. This is not how God intended us to live with each other. This is not how God... This goes against the very vision of the new heaven and the new earth that God is creating for us and calling us to live into. And so it must stop. And it needs to start today, here and now, with each and every one of us. It may seem like an insurmountable task. It's, it's part of the air that we breathe, right? It's, it's the world that we live in. It may seem like something is too big and too huge and too all-encompassing of our entire society to do anything about. But that beautiful story that Susan told. The Old Testament lesson today of, of David facing down the giant Goliath. A small little boy who took down the terrifying, seemingly undefeatable giant with one small, smooth stone. Friends, we have that stone. And it's the gift that God has given us. The ability to speak truth and love. To use our words to help us and others examine why we assume what we assume, why we say what we say, and why we act and do the things that we do, and to figure out how to change hearts and lives, our own and each other's, to call out racism, prejudice, intolerance, and hate where it appears in our communities and in ourselves to identify it, to name it, and to state that it is not okay. And it is not how God calls us to be in this world. To declare that we will no longer willingly swim in the pool of prejudice and stereotypes, and that we will seek to create an environment where racism is not the very air that we breathe. Where instead, love, dignity, and respect is. To speak these things in truth and in love ourselves, to each other, and to the world. Friends, may we have the courage, may we be filled with the grace and the love of Christ, may we have the strength to stand up for the vision of the good creation that God is calling us to in the new kingdom, in the new heaven and the new earth. Let us pray. Merciful and loving God, we confess to you today we confess to you today the sins of our community, the sins of our world, the sins of racism and hate that live among us. 
We ask, O oh Lord, that you fill us with love. That you fill us with the words and the actions to speak your love into being. To drive out hate. To drive out darkness. To drive out violence and fear. We pray, O oh Lord, that you may heal our world. That you may help us to see each other as you intend us to see each other. As your children, as sisters and brothers, as reflections of you in this world. We pray particularly this morning for the healing of the community of Charleston and the Emmanuel AME Church. We pray that you may bring peace and comfort, courage and strength for the coming days. And that your hand may be felt and your presence may be held dear. Be with us. Help us to see your will and your way. Help us to follow you. Help us to love your children. And help us to build your kingdom. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.